songs. They were designed to challenge us to think about what is coming in the future, but also challenge us to think about the fact that we live in a broken, fallen world and we should be concerned about sharing Christ with others. Hayden Marvin, Rachel Strange, and Jacob Brubaker are three of Molly Sadoti's kindergarten students. Each day, Molly stresses math while neglecting spelling, pronunciation, reading, sounding out words. Parents are somewhat concerned but think Molly's a teacher and knows what she is doing. The same thing happens in first grade, and by the time they get to Holly's fifth grade class, there's disaster since they still don't know how to read. Yes, reading is foundational to education. I better clarify that Molly does not do that. Some of us enjoy gardening. Naomi Brubaker is one of those who deeply enjoys it. Next spring, she buys a dozen tomato plants and plants them in her raised beds. She takes the plants, <clears throat> or stakes the plants, keeps the suckers from growing, puts mulch around each plant. She eagerly anticipates a harvest of tomatoes. She has some blossoms and she excitedly tells Jason about them, but several days later they drop off. This continues till frost. She never gets any tomatoes. Would she be frustrated? Disappointed. Why? Keep those two accounts in mind as we look at Mark chapter 4, beginning with verse 13. Mark chapter 4, beginning with verse 13. In verses 1 through 9, Jesus shared the parable of the sower. The sower went out to sow, and some seed fell along the path, some among the thorns. Some fell on good soil. And then in verses 10 through 12, he talks about the fact that some people would not understand because that was God's design. Parables were to be understood by the 12 plus some others close to Jesus. Then in verse 13, and we'll begin reading there, he gives an explanation of the parable. Mark 4 and verse 13. Then Jesus said to them, that's to the twelve and others that were close to him, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like the seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others are like the seed sown on rocky places. Hear the word, or they hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like the seed sown among the thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seed sown among or sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop 30, 60, and even 100 times what was sown. 
Now again, Jesus is speaking to the 12, plus some others that were around him, and that is stated in verse 10. And he presents some questions. And the fact that Jesus uses questions, that seems to be characteristic of his ministry, of using questions. Seems to be characteristic of God. Back in Genesis, as soon as Adam and Eve had fallen, God used some questions and responding to them. We find that the prophets use questions. And we find that the writers of the epistle uses questions. And here Jesus does. Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? Apparently, failure to hear and grasp this parable of the sower will make it very difficult to understand other parables. This parable seems to be kind of a foundational parable. If you get this parable, the groundwork is laid for understanding other parables. What is it about this parable that makes it the paradigm for all other parables? The answer, I think, is found in verses 14 through 20, where Jesus explains the types of soil and then concludes with the good soil that produces some 30, some 60, some even 100 times what was sown. And I think the parable combines two elements that form the core of the ministry of Jesus Christ that the 12 would experience that the 12 needed to understand. That is the secret of the kingdom of God, who is Christ. If they were going to grasp the kingdom of God, the secret of the kingdom of God, if they're going to grasp Christ, they needed to grasp that Jesus Christ, his identity, his being, his character. Who is Jesus? Been presented up to Mark 4, but also in verses 3 through 9 in Mark 4. And then in verses 14 through 20, Jesus communicates the issue of discipleship, the issue of following Christ. The identity of Jesus Christ, his being, his character is crucial. If one is going to walk with him, but not only is that crucial, it's also the discipleship, the following him, the being fruitful, there being a harvest. <clears throat> Today, I think we have a tendency to misunderstand this parable. We have people who claim Christ, but do not want to live with him day by day and enjoy him as a pattern of life. They're not surrendered to him 24-7. <clears throat> We may want what he gives, but not who he is. And since they don't grasp really who he is, they're not willing to be a disciple, to be fruitful, to have a harvest to follow him. And as we discuss this parable, please keep this reality in mind, that discipleship, walking with Jesus, obedience is vital in that context. Merely having a correct understanding of Christ falls short of what the Lord desires. Merely professing Christ as Savior and claiming heaven is not what he desires. He desires a harvest in our life. And that's brought out in verses 14 through 20. 
We cannot separate Jesus, a relationship, from a harvest. They're intimately related. And the disciples needed to grasp that and understand that. If they're going to understand the kingdom of God and they're going to understand Jesus Christ. And unless we grasp this parable, we will not grasp walking with Jesus 24-7. It's not merely a believing in Jesus. It is also producing a harvest. And many other passages bring those two together. If you turn over to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8 and verse 34 and I realize I'm leaping into the context. Jesus says, Then he called the crowd to him, along with his disciples, and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. But good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this idolatrous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Turn also over to Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, the Apostle Paul was talking about a relationship with Christ, a union with Christ, being one with Christ. And then in chapter 4 and verse 1, he says, As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Don't merely claim a union with Christ. Don't merely claim a relationship with Christ. Live it out. Walk worthy of your calling. He says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And you find the same truth emphasized in Hebrews chapter 2, James 2, 14 through 16, and 1 John 2, 3 through 6. So as we look at the interpretation of this parable that Jesus gives in verses 14 through 20, keep in mind, following Christ, claiming a relationship with Christ, and a harvest or fruitfulness go together. It's not one or the other. They go together. Now back to Mark chapter 4. The sower, the farmer, sows the word. In the context, as you look at Mark 1.27, Mark 2.2, Mark 4.33, Mark 8.32, and related passages in Mark, I think the sower, the farmer, is Jesus Christ. Later on, as we find in Mark 6, 6 through 12, Acts 4, 31, Acts 8, 12, and Acts 16 and Acts 17, we find that the 12 would also be sowing. So the farmer is sowing the word. The word, in light of the context, would be Christ. His identity, his being, his character, and ultimately the work he did on the cross. The farmer sows the word. And he says, some people are like the path or like the seed along the path where the word is sown. So there'd be a path through the field, 
guy spreading the seed, broadcasting it by hand. And some of it kind of falls near the path. And not good soil there because maybe partially packed down because someone had to step out of the path. And he says, uh, as soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. It's taken away. They don't grasp it. It doesn't register. There's no harvest. There's not a response. There's a second type of soil. <coughs> Others, like the seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. They hear it. They comprehend it, at least to some extent. They receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. There's a response, but it's not lasting. There's no fruit. There's no harvest. You know, the trouble, persecution comes, and they just fall away. Still others like the seed sown among the thorns. Hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Oh, it sprouts and it seems to going, going to be growing some, but there's no fruitfulness. All three of those soils lack a harvest. All three of those soils lack discipleship. Two of the soils begin, but there's nothing long-term. The fourth soil, others like the seed sown on the good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop 30, 60, or even 100 times what was sown. Now, the 12 apostles would be good soil. But what sets the fourth soil, the good soil, apart from the other three? It's the harvest. It's the fruitfulness. It didn't merely spring up and then fall by the wayside. There was a hearing, a responding, an understanding, a fruit. Now, as we think about the purpose of this interpretation that Jesus is giving, the disciples are insiders. They heard, they accepted. They're in the process of producing. The emphasis is on hearing, receptivity. The word appears eight times. It's being sown. Here, appears also. The first three soils imply a quick, superficial, hear, superficial hearing. No effect, no heeding. Failure to be fruitful would confirm that they're outsiders. Verse 20 would talk about a continual hearing, and acting, a crop being produced, that which God designed. 
Not like the tomato plants that just never produced. Hearing, receiving, and acting are the marks of being a disciple of Jesus. I think that is brought out in the passage. The first three soils, there's no crop. The last soil produced a crop 30, 60, or even 100 times what was sown. Now, what is the point of the parable? All seed will not produce a crop. That is, as the word is shared, it will not always result in people being saved. But the good soil will produce a crop. The 12 probably needed to understand this. Because what are they going to be? They're going to be sowing seed. And as they sow the seed, they share Christ. People aren't going to always respond. In fact, they're going to be rejected in some places. That's foundational to ministry. You know, as we share Christ, people are not going to respond. Some might respond and then they'll fall by the wayside. But Jesus encourages them, others will produce a harvest. Now, as you take this passage overall, verses 1 through 20, what's the point of Mark 4, 1 through 20? To communicate to insiders concerning the kingdom of God in a manner that outsiders will not understand. Jesus seems to be letting the outsiders know they're outsiders and will not understand. And also lets the 12 know what to expect as they preach. Now, what you also think about this parable in the context of the fact that Mark, who was probably writing this to the believers in Rome, undergoing persecution for their faith in Christ, losing lives, losing possessions, possibly being statues in the Garden of Nero as he would light them and burn them as human torches, but they continued to love God. And they would hear this passage and think, we're being fruitful. We're producing a harvest. We want to cling to Christ. We're clinging to Christ, his identity, his character, his being. We're insiders. We're part of Christ. They may have been tempted to throw in the towel and say, let's give up on this Christ stuff. And they hear this passage and they think, no. God's producing a harvest in us. We're going to cling. We're going to go on. We're true disciples of Christ. Now think about that in your relation to your own life. You experience a deep disappointment relationally. Do you cling to Christ? Or do you give up? A true disciple in the midst of disappointments in life relationally continues to love God and continues to be fruitful in walking with God 24-7. You're rejected by a so-called friend because you don't go along with something they want to do because of your walk with Christ. It's part of fruitfulness. 
you have a lack of health and God just doesn't seem to fix you. You cried out to God. But you still love God. You still are faithful. You're still rejoicing in the midst of your trials. Part of fruitfulness in walking with God. As we think about this parable, some possible applications in our lives. Many will hear, but not understand. As you live for God, you're yielded to God, and you talk to others about Christ on the job, in school, and so on. Many will hear, but they'll not understand. Genuine hearing concerning Jesus will result in a harvest. No hearing means there's no genuine hearing. Another application. If we or the apostles fail to understand this parable, it seems we will not understand other parables and will not have an understanding of the secret of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God itself. If we miss this parable, what will we miss? The seed must be sown. Focus on the seed, the word of God. If we miss this parable, we'll miss the fact that the seed must be sown. We'll comment more on that in a little bit. We'll miss that all soils will not produce a crop. They'll not all be fruitful. That's critical to understand. Otherwise, we get discouraged. You talk to someone about Christ, and they seem to do well for a couple weeks, and then they just fall by the wayside. Jesus talked about that. The sower, the farmer, is not responsible for fruitfulness. I grew up on a farm. I never saw my dad go out in the cornfield after he planted and get down on his knees and say, come on, kernels of corn, grow, grow. I'm, I'm encouraging you to grow. Get with it, grow. No, he prepared the soil. He sowed the seed. That's all he could do. The farmer's not responsible for fruitfulness. We're not responsible for the seed that we sow, the gospel that we share as we talk to others about Christ, whether it produces fruit or not. Also, Christology, Christ's identity, being in character and words and discipleship, or obedience and fruitfulness, just experiencing Christ 24-7 go hand in hand. You can't separate them. Oh, I know Jesus. I'm going to heaven when I die. But a day later, they have an unforgiving spirit, and that continues for weeks. That doesn't go hand in hand. I'm not saying they won't struggle with unforgiveness, but it doesn't go hand in hand. Oh, I know I'm going to heaven. I've experienced Jesus Christ. I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
but ends up talking negatively about coworkers or criticizing her husband or his wife. They don't go hand in hand. And that's where Jesus is coming from. The disciples needed to grasp that, that they're presenting a message of Christ. But a relationship with Christ produces a harvest. It makes a difference in day-by-day living. After 40 years of being married, or almost 40 years of being married to Ruth Ann, she would say that I'm different than I was when we first got married. That's part of my relationship with Christ, producing fruit. Another application, sow seed. Sow the word, sow Jesus. Not programs, worship styles, methods, music styles, and so on. The seed, the word, Jesus can only produce genuine fruit. I emphasize that. We today in modern America think if we get this music style, we'll reach people. If we get this program, we'll reach people. If we have this worship style, we'll reach people. What produces fruit? The seed. Oh, we say a worship style, a music style, a program may produce some fruit, but if the person is coming and responding to God because of that, then we'll have to keep giving them something to keep them. It's the seed that produces the fruit. And I emphasize that. It's the gospel, it's Christ. Oh, you have to use some type of music. You have to use some type of worship style. You may use some type of program. But let's not put our trust in them. Sow the seed. That's what God uses. Warren Wiersbe has said, what you use to reach people, you have to use to keep people. That's very true. The farmer went out and he sowed seed. And what happened? Some heard it in good soil, accepted it, and produced a crop. 30, 60, even 100 times. It sowed the seed. Failing to sow seed and focusing on methodology, focusing on worship styles, focusing on music is like my dad going out in the field with a brand new $150,000 tractor. Pulling behind that tractor, he's pulling a $50,000 corn planter. And he goes barreling down the field. And he gets all done with the field, and I say, Dad, what'd you do today? He said, I impressed myself. I took my tractor, my corn planter through the field. I expect a harvest. And I say, Dad, come back here to the corn planter. You don't have any seed. 
We can have all the thrills. But only the seed produces a crop. And again, I emphasize that because of the world in which we live. As you share Christ and relate to people in your severe of influence, expect many will not be responsive to your life and to the message of Jesus Christ. Expect others to respond for a while, but they will not last or produce a harvest. That's part of God's kingdom. You're on the job, you're in school, relating to neighbor, you befriended a neighbor, you've presented Christ, and you think this person just doesn't get it. That's okay. You sowed the seed. You're not responsible for the harvest. You're not responsible for the seed sprouting. That's freeing. Well, I talked to 15 people in the last 15 years about Jesus Christ, and only two of them responded. Were you faithful? Did you sow seed? Yeah. Be content with that. I think that's part of what Jesus is communicating. Some of the seed's going to fall on rocky soil. Some's going to fall among thorns and thistles. Others is going to fall along the path, and others will fall on good soil. But you're not responsible. The farmer or the sower is not responsible for making sure the seed is fruitful, only sowing. Share Christ. Share the seed. Another application. Merely claiming a salvation experience without a harvest means an individual must be in one of the first three soils. That is, they claim Christ, but there's not a harvest. There's not discipleship. There's not a lifestyle of obedience of just sharing Christ. Now stop and ponder for a few moments. How many people that you and I know that have claimed Christ, that seem to have responded to the seed of the gospel, but there's not that walking with Christ, that yieldedness to Christ. Maybe we need to come to the conclusion that they may be one of the first three types of soil. Maybe we need to challenge them along that line. Remember a little while back talking to a gentleman, <clears throat> known the guy for quite a few years. We were talking about the gospel and talking about Christ and a relationship with Christ, and he, <clears throat> he said, very dogmatically, have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I didn't debate that point. I took him to a portion of Scripture in Galatians, and I said, if you have a relationship with Christ, where's the fruit? I'm not saying you don't, but fruitfulness seems to be part of a relationship with Jesus Christ. About a year later when I talked to him, he gave up on claiming a relationship with Jesus Christ, and he said to me, you know, maybe I don't have a relationship with Christ. Stop and ponder that. 
Some people may respond. But are they fruitful? I think that's part of this parable. God desires fruitfulness. The real test of fruitfulness comes when trouble, hardship, persecution, relational struggles, unfulfilled desires, so-called unanswered prayers, disappointment appear in our lives. Do we continue to walk with Christ? I think of Ken and Arlene Updike, faithfully walked with Christ for years, and Ken ends up in a nursing home, doesn't want to be there. They're separated from one another. And one of the things that Ken or Arlene, I think Ken was said, you know, we've slept together for all these years, now I have to sleep without you. We've been together in all these years, and now I only see you a couple hours a week, or a day, rather. But what is he doing? Still loving Christ. That's fruitfulness. And he wrote in a note to me, there's at least nine people in this place now heard the gospel. What's he doing? Sowing seed. God, I don't like this mess. I won't be with my wife. But I still love you. I'm still going to sow seed. As we've interacted with this portion of Scripture, has the Lord spoken to you? Are you going to hear and apply? And as we think about this parable, Travis, Laura's not feeling good today, so Travis will be singing alone. And as he sings his song, I want you to stop mentally and think about your world of influence and sowing seed in that world of influence. Travis? Travis?